You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the Word. If you've got a Bible, take it out. Uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And the word says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, we exalt your name in this place, God, and we, and we declare and confess that there is no name greater than your name. God, we ask as, as you became man, as you came down, Lord, from um, your royalty and your majesty and came down and became human. God, would you do that even here today, God? Would your spirit come down and be among us? I believe your, your word is alive, Lord God, that it is, uh, it is moving and, and it will transform us, God. We can be washed clean by your word. Would you do that today, God? We say we love you. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are uh, taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians. If you weren't here last week, we stepped out of 1 Corinthians to prepare ourselves for, for Easter and to look specifically at the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Uh, we read from Colossians chapter 1 last week, which said that Jesus was before all things, and in him all things are held together. That Jesus was not just a man that lived 2,000 years ago, but he was the eternal God. He created the universe. He breathed life into you and I. He was as much God as God. He was one with the Father and the Spirit. He was fully God, eternal So the question begs then, on the heels of last week, how can we know a cosmic Christ? How can can we know something as massive as a universe? We We can look at it. We can get behind a telescope and we can study it and try to measure some things, but we don't know it. Or as small as an atom. How can you know an atom? You can get behind a microscope and and you can study it and and look at it, but you don't know it. 
C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, said, If Shakespeare and Hamlet were ever going to meet, it would be Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing in that relationship. The only way Hamlet could ever know his creator, Shakespeare, is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story of Hamlet's life. And authors do this, it's weird. Uh, But they actually create characters and begin to fall in love with these people that they've created. And then they begin to write themselves and create this romance and things. This happens, it's freaky. But listen, what C.S. Lewis is saying is exactly what God did in Jesus. As we studied last week, this cosmic, massive, glorious thing beyond what we could know, intimately know, had to be made knowable to us. It's the same for you and me. Think about your relationships. If, if you really want to know someone, or better yet, if you really want someone to know you, it's going to take an act of humility, vulnerability, To make yourself knowable. Think about people who know the most intimate details of who you are. There was a place and a time where you had to make yourself knowable. Even if that meant that you might be laughed at. That you might be mocked. That you might even be rejected. It's an incredible measure of humility. And today we are looking at that humility of Christ. While he is still God, he becomes knowable to us by becoming human. Today we'll look at how Christ puts aside his rights as God. He sets aside his rights as God. How Christ puts on flesh and how Christ puts down his own life. Now you may be here and identify with one of two groups of people. Some people say, yes, I can believe in God. I can believe that there is something bigger than myself. There's someone or something at work behind all of this. I can believe that. But don't tell me that that thing, whatever it is, came down in the form of a man and lived among us. I don't believe that. Or you may come from the camp that says, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's such a great teacher. He's such a great philosopher. He's a, he's a lover. He's a social justice pioneer. I love Jesus. But don't tell me that Jesus is God. Don't take it that far. And yet, in one of the most astonishing passages in all of Scripture, literally, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is this astonishing piece of Scripture that Paul is describing to us through his letter to the church in Philippi that Jesus is both and, both fully God and fully man. Looking at verse 6, Paul says, who, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
The word here that Paul uses for that phrase, something to be grasped, is a Greek word, uh, harpegmos or harpegma. And Paul uses this to reference something to be exploited, something to be, to, of which to take advantage. In some of your translations, it says uh, that Christ did not consider it something to be taken advantage of, his very nature of God. And this is remarkable. Jesus is not going to use his godliness to his own advantage. Let me say that again. Jesus is not going to use his godliness to his own advantage. He is going to set aside his rights as son of God. Let's look at how Christ puts aside his rights. Verse 6 indicates that Jesus had an advantage in being God. He's God. There are certain rights he has as being God. But he makes himself low to the point that people knew who he was. Okay, consider this for a moment. In Jesus' life, people knew his address. People watched him work on carpentry. Friends played with him. In the neighborhood, whatever little Hebrew kids did back then, they did that together. They knew him. They knew his brothers and sisters. It's crazy. Think about what we talked about last week. This cosmic, ethereal, all-powerful, eternal being arrives in the form of the most defenseless, helpless form, a baby boy. I have three daughters, and I can tell you, they are fragile things. I've dropped them. (laughs) I'll let you guess which one I dropped. It'll probably play out later in their life. But they are fragile things. Like you, you have to be careful with them. They can't feed themselves. They can't change them. They can't do anything. And this is the form in which that cosmic God arrives. It's crazy to think about. And if you think about in that form everything that he gave up, what it must have been like for God to set aside those rights. Imagine for us what it would be like to set aside some of your rights. Each of us has certain rights. If you're a U.S. citizen, you actually have a bill of rights that protects some of your basic rights like freedom of speech in this country. You have a right to say what you want to say without someone censuring you or persecuting you for it. Now, what if today I said, listen, you know that whole free to speak thing? I'm going to ask you just to give that one up. You're you're not allowed to just say what you want to say anymore. You would say, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. Why would I give up my freedom to speak to whoever I want in whatever way I want to? I wouldn't do that. If you gave up your rights, you would begin to feel less of who you really are. You couldn't speak to your spouse or your, your girlfriend or boyfriend or the closest people around you. You couldn't speak freely. You'd be concerned about how your words are interpreted. Would they be taken out of context, used against you? It changes your, the way you live your life. 
This is why human rights are such a big deal to us. We believe that every human has some basic rights to shelter, to live in a safe place, to have healthy food to eat, to have clean water to drink. That's a basic right. And we fight for those. But listen, on an incredibly more powerful level, Christ willingly gives up so much of his rights as God. Willingly. Everything that we learned about last week, Jesus' greatness, he sets aside. Now I want to clarify something. We are not saying that Jesus was any less God. That's not what we're saying. That would be a contradiction of spirit, uh, of scripture, because Paul says that Jesus was in very nature God. It's who he was. It was his attribute of being God. He couldn't be less God. If he was, then we would call into question, was he ever God? Was he really God? Think about it like this. Uh, My grandma on, on my wife's side is getting into her late 90s. She's 96, 97. She's a spunky, funky, fun old lady. But... She can't remember who people are anymore. Even her own sons are strangers to her. If you've experienced this, it's, it's incredibly sad. So we can sit with Grandma Marion and say, that woman sitting in that chair is Grandma Marion. We can say that. But we know that that woman is not fully Grandma Marion. There's more to her than what sits in that seat. And what we're saying is Christ didn't become that. He didn't become less of who he was. He was fully God. What he did instead was set aside his rights. It was as if Jesus had a God card. Think of it this way. He has a God card that gives him all access to all of his godly power. And he takes that card and he puts it in his pocket. And he says... I'm not going to use this for my advantage. It's still mine, but I will not use it for my own advantage. Think of it for us, think of it like this. It's like the ultimate easy button. You've seen the commercials, right? The easy button. So the guy's at his desk and like spreadsheets are just flying around and buttons are exploding off his keyboard and like it's just utter chaos and then someone touches the easy button And all calm ensues and like his hair's parted and he's got like a way with the girl in the cubicle next to him all of a sudden. And like it's all good. Jesus is the ultimate easy button. He can literally reverse the work of demonic power, of sickness, of brokenness, even death. He has all of that. And he does all of those things in his life, but never to his own advantage. Think about it. Jesus never bails himself out supernaturally. We never read of any time where Jesus bails himself out, like this is a sticky situation, God power, I'm out. Like he never does that. He never does that. This position of equality with God for Christ 
was never a status of privilege for him. Instead, he took a position of unselfish giving, of pouring himself out. He set aside his rights, his equality with God, and made himself human. But even more than that, Paul says that Jesus made himself nothing. Nothing. In other translations, it says uh, he emptied himself. That he poured himself out. The Greek word here is kino, like in kenosis, kino. It's used in other places in the Bible by Paul. And each time it means not literally to pour something out, like a glass being poured out of the water inside of it. Not that. But figuratively, for things to become nullified, to make of no account. In Romans, Paul uses the term to refer to what would happen to faith if those who lived by the law became heirs to God and his promises. If you could live by the law and inherit all of God's promises, then Paul says faith would become kino. It would become nullified. It would be lost of its power. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the same term to refer to what would happen to the gospel if Paul himself were to preach by human wisdom. If Paul went around from city to city sharing the gospel in his own wisdom, he says the gospel would become kino. It would become nullified, lost of its power. The idea here is not that Jesus emptied himself of his godliness or his divinity, that he lost it, but that he willingly brought himself down to zero, nullifying himself, becoming human. There are a couple great examples of this. Jesus' humanity and his divinity united in the New Testament. The first is found in Matthew chapter 8, 24 to 27. It says, Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Pause there. Now, I have three kids, and I know what it is to be tired and sleep-deprived, all right? Uh, Jesus' humanity is in full effect right now. The guy is sleeping through a hurricane, all right? He is fully human here. Pick it up in verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds that, and the waves obey him. Now, if we were to say that, God is, that Jesus is fully God, that means that he was omnipotent, all-powerful, that he was omnipresent, he was ever-present, everywhere at one time, that he was omniscient, all-knowing. And in this section of scripture, this is where Jesus harpagmos, remember that, that uh, not being taken to his advantage, his very nature of God, is on display. Jesus is dead Tired from preaching and walking from city to city. He's exhausted. 
but his disciples are freaking out about this storm. So Jesus gets up out of bed, meaning he is operating full in full humanity and rebukes the disciples and then rebukes the wind and the wave and everything becomes calm. Easy button. Everything goes to where it was supposed to be. In these three verses, we see Jesus was vulnerable to fatigue. He got really, really tired. But he did not use his godliness to give him superhuman physical strength. But in the same moment, Jesus exercises his godliness to calm the sea or the lake. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In another example of Jesus' humanity and divinity united on his time on earth, there's the account of the transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 through 9. And here's what it says. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, Who I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Tell no one, uh, do not tell anyone. What you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Here in this account, we literally see Jesus' godliness break through his humanity. And it was so powerful that the disciples want to stay there and build a temple to worship Jesus. For Jesus had a relationship with his disciples For him to have a relationship with them, he had to put aside his godliness. His godliness freaked them out. He had to become knowable, even to the point he could touch them on the shoulder and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Christ had to put on flesh to live out this relationship with his disciples. In verse 7, Paul says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, if we were in Jesus' position, and we were going to come down out of the cosmos, just imagine for a second, you are in the cosmos for all eternity, and you are going to come down to earth to spend time with your creation. Would you arrive as a servant? Would you go that low? To think about it, uh, imagine the times that you fantasize about winning the lottery. My wife and I do this. uh, And we play it out. And it always starts 
with giving money to the church. And then the poor. And by the end, we've got a beach house in Maui. We've got a ski lodge in Aspen. There's helicopters involved. It's silly. It just gets crazy because that is our nature. We are going high. We are not going low. Right? This is one of the reasons I'm convinced that Christianity has to be true. Because no one would write a story like this where the cosmic God of all creation and eternity comes down to earth and becomes a servant. No one in the Greco-Roman culture is going to sign up for that. It's crazy. No one would make that up. It had to be absolutely real and true and experienced by people who were there. It can't be a hoax. In the Roman city of Philippi, that word servant, when it says he became a servant, that word would have been translated in Greek as a slave. And of course in Roman culture, status was very important. Now status is important to us, how many people, uh, Twitter followers you have and, and all of that stuff. But status here was actually livelihood. Your status in this culture determined what opportunities for business you had, social acceptance, um, marriage, and everything else. Status was your identity. And there was no lower class system in the Roman Empire than being a slave. As a slave in this culture, you were deprived of all of those basic rights that we talked about. You did not have a right to shelter. You didn't have a right to food or water. It was whatever was given to you. You didn't even have a right to your name. You would take the name of the master of the house. However, sometimes slaves could actually work long enough to buy back their freedom. See, for a slave, there was no place to go but up. This context makes the words of Paul that much more gripping when we think Christ did not flee slavery. He did not try to uh, get out of slavery, but he actually descended down as low as he could get in that culture out of his rightful place as king. There's no position too low for Christ. Let me say that again. Let it sink in. There is no position too low for Christ. On earth, he does not consider himself ever too high to get down in a lower position. He made himself nothing. And of course, this is the exact opposite of our social system, the way we live. No one is trying to get lower. In business school, at least the, the schools that I went to, it was very clear that when you graduated, you were attempting a journey of upward mobility, you were trying to improve things. Each opportunity should be considered for its ability to take you to new heights, to open up more doors, give you new opportunities. And then Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in business school, this has become like a, bi a, a business Bible for business students, Good to Great. And, and what Collins did is he started with 1,400 businesses, 1,400 companies. 
And over a 40-year period, he, he measured and he tracked uh, different metrics and management styles and all these different things. And then he pulled out 11 great companies of those 1,400. And he tried to determine what took them to that next level. What, what took them from good to great? In the second chapter of the book, Good to Great, Collins uh, highlights the level five leader. Remember, this book has had tremendous influence on the business world, on the business community. Listen to the way he describes the level five leader. He says, the term level five leader refers to the highest level in a hierarchy of executive capabilities that we identified in our research. The highest level. The level five executive builds enduring greatness through... A paradoxical blend, a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Level five leaders channel their ego needs away from themselves and into the larger goal of building a great company. It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self-interest. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious. But their ambition is first and foremost for the institution, not themselves. Think about that in terms of our cultural context in the business world. A lot of you work in the financial district, in the corporate world. Uh, um, Just think about that. He is saying the, the highest level of leader is the one who cares more about the people around him than himself. And we see the fruit of it. Collins doesn't know it, but he is describing Jesus. Everything in us, in our culture, in our lives, wants to exalt ourselves. Make a name for ourselves. Improve our status. And yet Christ, throughout his life, is working his way down, not up. Case in point, on the night of Jesus' last meal with his disciples... He takes off his garment and wraps himself in a robe, in a towel. And he takes a bowl of water and he gets down on his knees and begins to just scrub and wash the mud and the poo and the grime. These guys did not have a home. They walked from city to city, the disciples did with Jesus. They did not have a place to lay their head. They they went around constantly walking on these streets. You can imagine what these feet look like. Nasty. And Jesus is down on his knees just scrubbing, washing, making them clean. And that act of washing the disciples' feet was literally held for the slave of the house. If you were to go into someone's house, their slave would get down on their knees and wash your feet clean and invite you into the house. And this is where we find Christ on his last night, his magnum opus, his grand finale with the disciples, his last time of intimate conversation and sharing with them. This is how he goes out with them. How far this king goes down for those he loves. Now, followers of Christ, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, this characteristic of Christ 
should be more evident than any other in our lives. That we do not go up. That we do not ascend to exalt ourselves. But we always go down. We will meet people wherever they at. And we will humble ourselves to whatever level is necessary. That should be our character. How can we do this? Because Christ has done it for us. He has shown us the model. Jesus will do more though. Than even become a slave. Than even set aside his rights. Christ will put down his own life. When we read in verse 8. Paul says that Jesus humbled himself. Becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Interesting language here. Obedient to death. What does that mean to be obedient to death? Would you consider yourself obedient to death? You don't have much of a say in the matter. If we were to leave today and encounter a car head on, we do not have much say in obedience to that death or not. It's going to happen. Not the case for Christ. This is not his circumstance. Christ being fully God had absolute authority over death. Remember, he had lived in eternity, eternally. There was no beginning and no end. He absolutely had authority over death. Death had no claim to him. It had no right to him. And yet he makes himself obedient to death. Jesus submitted something that he didn't have to on our behalf. But Jesus doesn't stop there. It says that he made himself even lower, submitting himself to death on a cross. Now we have become desensitized to the cross. We see the cross. Madonna wears a cross. I mean, the cross is everywhere. It's lost its meaning and value. Let me tell you just a little bit from theologian Mark uh, Thielman. The significance... Of death on a cross. He says, in the world that Paul shared with the Philippians, this was as low as you could stoop socially. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of official execution in the Roman Empire. And although a Roman citizen might experience it if convicted of high treason, it was commonly reserved for the lower classes, especially slaves. Partly because crucifixion was not the conversation of polite company and partly because the cruel creativity of executioners was given wide latitude, the the specifics of the process are not frequently described. Generally, however, the victim was first tortured in various ways and then fastened to a cross by impaling Nailing, binding with ropes, or some combination of all three. Death often came slowly over a period of days as the victim experienced increased blood loss, thirst, hunger, the attack of wild animals, and suffocation. In the culture of this time in Philippi, there was no more humiliating way for a person to die Christ dies the death of a good-for-nothing, completely devalued human being. 
So much so that they wouldn't even speak of it in public places. Do you see how far Christ comes down? How far we have fallen from the cosmos to this place? All of this begs the question, why? Why? Why set aside all the privileges of divinity? Why take on the limitations and brokenness of humanity? Why leave your throne as king and become nothing, become a slave? Why submit to death? And not just any death, the most humiliating, agonizing death possible. Why? The only possible answer is love. A radical, amazing type of love. He willingly gave everything, humbled himself to a level that really we could not even understand because he loved the Father. He loved the Spirit. There was a unity and power in that love that is beyond our understanding. And then what does the Father do? In verses 9 through 11, it says that he exalts the name of Jesus above every other name. In fact, every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And this is what we will celebrate at Easter. So what does this all mean for us? What do we take away from this? That Christ would come down out of the cosmos and set aside his rights as God. That he would take on flesh, die a humiliating death. What does it mean for us? God has gone to great lengths that you might know him. God has gone to great depths that you might know him. John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity, he says that, No one that we read about in the New Testament, no one that came face to face with Christ ever had a casual response to Jesus. No one. Either they hated him and they ran him out of town or tried to kill him or they fell completely in love with him and left everything to follow him. There was no casual response. What will our response be to Christ? What will your response be to Christ? If all of this is true, step back for a moment of everything we've talked about last Sunday and today. If all of this is true, then there demands a response. If this is not true, and Jesus isn't who he says he was, then he's a crazy man and you should run the other way from him and everyone who calls him their Lord. But if it's true, if all of that is true, then it changes everything for us. And the fact of the matter is that God the Father And God the Son in Christ and God the Holy Spirit went to great pains 
so that you might enjoy the same peace and love, radical love and joy that they share together. They invite you into that. That is what's offered to you and to me in Christ's life, his humanity, and his death. That we might have life eternal. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray um, today, God, that you would make everything, Lord, that we have, we've read and we've, we've talked about, Lord, you would take it off the page, Lord, that this would not just be uh, empty words, Father God. Would you fill it with your spirit? Lord, I know that you, you absolutely love and adore every person in this room. God, I know that you saw their face as you carried your cross. You saw their face. And you said, they are mine, my sons and daughters. God, would you, in some radical way, help us understand that. God, I pray for you to move in this place as we worship your name. God, would you inhabit our worship? Would you come down, Lord, and begin to minister to our hearts, God? Would you break every chain that keeps us bound from you? Would you free us completely, Lord God, to live and move and breathe as you created us to be in relationship with you? Pray for freedom in this place. And we exalt the name of Jesus. Lord, as we, we worship you and we praise you, Lord, we will lift your name high. And we will bow our knees, Lord God, and our tongues will confess you are God. Amen.